0: dude we should start a magazine we totally should start a magazine wait how do you start a magazine who cares let's do it let's just do it man and what should we call it it's gotta be something useful something that can get you out of a jam take things apart maybe put things back together i got it what pipe wrench that is literally, though not really, the transcript between Michelle Weber, editor-in-chief of Pipe Wrench Magazine, and Catherine Cusick, the human pipe wrench, if you will. Did she bind insurance policies? I don't know. And uh, they're both co-founders of Pipe Wrench Magazine, com. Michelle might even say something like this.
1: All people at the end were just roiling balls of feelings floating on an even bigger sea of feelings.
0: This is the Creative Nonfiction Podcast, a show where I speak to badass people about the art and craft of telling true stories. Today's jam is with two peas in a pod, the frog and toad of journalism, Michelle Weber and Catherine Cusick. They saw something broken in magazines and publishing and got out their collective toolbox and sought to fix it. A contractor might think of uh, or suggest a different tool than a pipe wrench, but I'd argue that a pipe wrench is the perfect tool. It's adjustable, it's heavy, it can be used as a weapon in a pinch. Basically, if you're holding a pipe wrench, nobody's going to fuck with you, and so I dare you, I dare you to fuck with Michelle and Catherine. Support for the Creative Nonfiction Podcast is brought to you by West Virginia Wesleyan College's low residency MFA in creative writing. Now in his 10th year, this affordable program boasts a low student-to-faculty ratio and a strong sense of community. Recent CNF faculty include Randon Billings Noble, Jeremy Jones, and CNF pod alum Sarah Einstein. There's also fiction and poetry tracks. Recent faculty there include Ashley Bryant Phillips and Jacinta Townsend, as well as Diane Gilliam and Savannah Sippel. No matter your discipline, if you're looking to up your craft or learn a new one, consider West Virginia Wesleyan Wright in the heart of Appalachia. Visit mfa.wvwc.edu for more information and dates of enrollment. As always, keep the conversation going on social media at cnfpod. And if you're feeling kind, uh, leaving reviews for the podcast on Apple goes a long way towards validating this here enterprise in its ninth freaking year. Yeah, for that wayward cnfer. The Instagram page is still in the Underage Court of Appeals. I know. I don't know what to say about that. So we're doing our promotion at Brendan O'Meara on Instagram and Twitter. Twitter's also at CNF Pod. so there you go. And my goodness, CNFers, oh my goodness, issue two of the audio magazine is done. And it goes out to the Patreon community on the first day of summer. Why? It's a summer-themed issue, man. June 20th, 2021, it is going to go right into the Patreon. Uh, basically, a blog post It's just going to be an mp3 file. I just put it there, and you can pluck it and download it and listen to it. That's what it's going to be. That's the magazine, and it only goes out to the Patreon community. Hey, patrons get lots of goodies, as well as the knowledge that they're supporting writers in the CNF and community. You won't want to miss this one, CNF. I mean, it... It's really, it's really good. I'm very proud of it, and I think it'll, uh, I think it'll pluck at a lot of people's heartstrings and make you think and long for those days of summer as we head into yet another summer. So, for just two dollars a month of support, you get the magazine and a chance to ask questions of guests on the show. I appear, I, I periodically will just put out a post, and be like, "Hey, I'm talking to so and so," or "Hey." What would you like me to ask people? Because ultimately I make this show for you, for me, but also for you. Once you do this long enough, you have to realize that you really have to have the end user in mind. You can scratch your own itch all you want, but ultimately it does have to be in service of somebody other than yourself. So hence why I put out those calls sometimes. There are other tiers and other goodies. So go ahead, give it a shot. And I should mention that there is now a new call for submissions for issue three of the audio magazine, and here's the theme, heroes. Now, I don't know what your relationship is to heroes. Maybe to you, the best hero in your life is a sandwich, or maybe they're superheroes. All I know is that at the end of the Dark Knight, Batman famously said, I'm not a hero. So maybe... You have an equally conflicted relationship with hero worship, idolatry. So I want two thousand words max on heroes—a hero in your life, a hero's journey. That's up to you. Email with the subject line "Hero" in the to uh, in the subject line to Creative Nonfiction Podcast at Gmail dot com. And from now until August, I plan on giving the loudest of shoutouts to Hippocamp Twenty Twenty One. It's back in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Lancaster. Registration's open. It's a conference for creative nonfiction writers. Marion Winnick will be this year's keynote speaker. I will be delivering a podcast-themed talk. If I can get off my ass and do a far better job than I did the last time. I freaked. I choked. Basically, I just choked. Anyway, I can't speak highly enough about this conference. There are four scholarships and six full awards. Those are open until June 15th. Oh, shit. So that just ended. Um... Scratch that. Uh, We've also got a debut author panel featuring Lily Danziger. Remember her. Greg Mania, Carol Smith, and Janine Ouellette. August 13th through the 15th. Dig it? Use the promo code CNFPOD21 to get $50 off your registration fee. You can buy me a beer with the savings or some books, but maybe a beer too. Hey, listen, and you've heard me say that if you want to get in shape, you hire a personal trainer, right? You know the fundamentals of how to eat right and exercise, but you know what? you you don't have an you don't have abs you don't even have an ab, but you hire a trainer to hold you accountable to put you through the paces and see things you can't see to motivate you and that's where I come in regarding your writing of course, so if you're ready to level up I'd be honored to help you get where you or your book or your essay or your book proposal needs to go, email me and we'll start a dialogue and we can see where you want to go, and we can talk pricing and all that stuff. Got it? Good. Got one final sponsor. The show is brought to you by the word "huang." It's a noun, and it, it is a resounding blow, the sound produced by such a blow, the huang of gongs and cymbals. Thank you, huang. W-H-A-N-G, also pronounced Wang. It's up to you. Here's my conversation, at long last, with Michelle and Catherine about the inspiration and ethos behind their exciting new venture with Pipe Wrench Magazine.
2: Friends and I had a podcast back in the
0: day.
2: Back in the day... A long, long time ago in <laughs> 2019, uh, Michelle did the I first did. recording. This was for the Long Reads podcast, okay? Which had a just a wonderful era and heyday for all of 2019. <laughs> had about 90 episodes, and it was it was recorded with a team of. An all-distributed workforce. And the main thing about being an all-distributed workforce is that most people don't need to be seen or heard synchronously at all. So having somebody host a podcast became a quick <laughs> game of not it. Uh and I think I touched my nose last. So or or you I were the best at it. Hosted. That these and are competing have... narratives that are both out in the world and you have inborn podcast voice it's possible it's possible um so we started recording that i feel like we recorded the first episode in late 2018 i remember it being christmasy or new year's and michelle did the first episode and then never Correct. again <laughs> never again I just asked her if she uses the microphone right now, if she was going to break it out from when she was sent a specific microphone to use. And she, she has decided not to. The
1: microphone, I have to say the fancy microphone made me very nervous. And I wonder now if I had not used the fancy microphone for that very first episode, if I would have been like, Hey, podcasting is my jam and been on all of them.
2: We'll never know. (laughs) we'll never know
0: fantastic so
2: but so you're getting michelle back <laughs> on a podcast congrats
0: <laughs> nice We're kicking and screaming get her back on the mic <laughs> <laughs> so i i love uh you know I, I i ever since you know you guys started to uh promote that there that pipe wrench was going to be a thing i it was uh it was really cool to like come across it in sort of the ethos and everything behind it. And as we sort of start to unpack that, I'd love to just get a sense of your experience together at Longreads and how maybe that sort of sets the table for, for this venture you have now.
2: Michelle's history with Longreads goes back a little farther. than that. Uh, yeah, I have been editing at
1: Longreads since, I don't know, whenever they were acquired by Automatic, which was 2014. 2014. 2014. <laughs> Um
0: yeah, I had been at automatic. I was
1: on their editorial team and then they acquired long reads and then I got the opportunity to start working on long reads and curating and then editing. And then Catherine, when did you come on to do all of our audience development?
2: I came on in May of 2017 when y'all were looking right. for a social editor, and I immediately walked in the door and was like, You need <laughs> more. You need an audience editor. And I'm going, I'm going to do audience development. It's not going to be limited to social and you won't regret it. Uh, and I came on and then promoted myself. I mentioned this in the bio that I just make up titles wherever I go. I promoted myself to to head of audience at some point uh, to feed my ego. And I came on in 2017 Longreads at the time had been publishing originals for a year or two already. And the idea was to build the audience for more of their original reporting because Longreads at the time was very well known for curation uh, and is still well known for curation. And it's a huge part of what makes it such a wonderful website. But they were doing more original reporting Their was increased investment in just being able to increase production at the time. So when I started, it was May of 2017, and the first several top five newsletters of the week featured, I think, six features a week. And a a few months into it, that had gone up to about 10 or 11 a week. So I was working on promoting about 40 features a month for a couple of years there, all of which were, had a minimum of mm-hmm. 2,500 words. Is that mm-hmm. it?
0: It's a lot of reading. So we were,
2: we were publishing books uh, very, very often <laughs> with many, many chapters and from writers who had tremendous reach and plenty of writers who, didn't. And all of them still were working with an editor at Long Reads because their work was incredibly strong. And so I came in to build audiences for both kinds of writers there, for writers who this was their first major byline. It was their first experience having a team of editors, some of them being fact-checked. And then others who were veterans and who had a lot of experience already and came with their own audiences. And I focused on uh, working with both sets of those kinds of writers. And we'll get into more of the origin story of Pipe Wrench. But one of the things that I love about it is that we've got both kinds of writers in each issue at this point because writers who have different strengths and different levels of experience and different reach can help each other by being in the same issue together. And that's something that was definitely happening at Longreads where Longreads reach was huge. Some of the writers working with us, some of the editors working with us, and then a ton of new voices who got to benefit from having resources pooled to build their audiences with them rather than what's happening now, where a lot of folks need to build their audiences alone, which is rather difficult.
0: Yeah. It, yeah. G- given this, this landscape where we're dealing with a lot of, well, there's a lot of uh, freelancer types out there, and it can be very hard to find a niche, develop an audience, uh, find what Seth Godin might call that smallest viable audience that will sustain us to do the kind of work we set to do to serve the people we want to serve and make the change we want to make, and uh, in in your experience as a audience development, what what peop- what can people be doing to better foster that audience growth that they can you know parlay into you know a career in words or or whatever artistic endeavor they might they might be in, mm.
2: collaborating. Mm. Not doing it alone, <laughs> um, right? Which, yeah. which, you know, I mean, I think that one of the main things that I've been doing coming to audience development around a time when that was an unusual title, uh, an unusual title to have an audience editor. I'm sure that there's still huge sections of populations who wouldn't know what that is <laughs> um, or what kind of editing that is. If that's even journalism, or if that's a kind of journalist, it definitely is. But I think that the through line for how I got into this kind of a title and this kind of work is that I've been a reader advocate for a very long time. I am a reader myself and a voracious one. And the main thing that I do, and I think that Michelle does in order to build audiences at all, is that we have to read constantly. You have to engage with the work of others. And at Pipe Ranch, we're doing that outside of even just writing or journalism Uh, or reporting. We're we're trying to go way beyond our current uh, media silo, really, where you have to just be up to date on who's doing what fascinating work where. And that can lead to partnerships and collaborations and you just need to be a fan first. Uh, And then you can start working with people who are in the same boat as you and work collaboratively on audience building. But I think it has to be a communal effort.
1: Yeah, I think with with freelancing, it's so easy and understandably so to fall into kind of the scarcity mindset, right? Of like, if if someone is someone else covering this? Like, is this story already been told? What am I doing that's right. different? How do I, and look, there's room for so many stories from so many perspectives. And there's always someone who needs to read whatever your iteration is. And your version is not going to be the same as someone else's version. And by not connecting with other people who are doing the same kind of work, like you are then you're putting yourself in the situation of having to build a thing from scratch in a very crowded landscape, which is really, really difficult. I mean, before I did any of this, back in the day, I was a blogger, right? And how did I get people, how did I get an audience from my blog? I read a ton of other blogs who were who were doing the same thing. We were all writing about food. We were all making the same cupcakes and the same popsicles with the same <laughs> cute little stripy straws, right? But. <laughs> But there's a the audience is out there. And so I read and I left comments that were genuine, genuinely wanting to connect. And then it brings people back to you. And then everyone's audience kind of grows. So that, but I mean, it is also, I have to say, like totally understandable to fall into the, the scarcity mindset, right? Like the the publishing landscape right now is not in a healthy, sustainable place, <laughs> right? Where it's... People can make reasonable salaries and reasonable livings without constant hustle and constant compromise. So, so trying to find a different path is kind of what part of what is driving Pipe Ranch as well to help, to help show that there's a different way that we can do this.
0: Yeah. It feels like, and uh, it, it feels like it can be a zero sum game. And you're talking about that with this, the scarcity mindset that, that it, it can really lead to a very sort of toxic cesspool of an environment that doesn't foster the, uh, a kind of uh, a community out there of, of this kind of storytelling or the, this kind of a cultural analysis or whatever you want to call it. And to be able to see people do the work, you have to really kind of have a, almost a Jedi mind trick uh, conversation (laughs) with yourself that just be, you know, The fact that someone wrote this piece, it doesn't mean that I can no longer do that. It means actually there's room for this and I can do this too. They're opening the door for me to have that kind of platform also. Not that, oh, they took it away from me. No, like you can do it too.
1: Right, it means a conversation already started and now you can join a conversation instead of just being off in a silo trying to do your own thing.
2: Well, and I think that there are mindsets that are coming from Fusions of creative nonfiction and journalism. There's scooping in the news. There's there's scooping where, well, if somebody gets to that story first, they had that source first, they had that reporting first. You then will be citing them. Uh, if you are good and not uh passing off the work of local journalists somewhere else as national reporting that's breaking a story, even when it was broken somewhere else, just a subtweet um (laughs) but there's no scooping in creative nonfiction writing right it there really isn't that's that's what the creative part is for you'll always tell it differently the narrative and the way that you approach it and your personal experience is always going to be different
0: yeah i I don't like what michelle you were saying a, a moment ago is that you know if you know people might be covering a certain thing, but different people will cover it differently. I almost feel like that would be a fascinating thing for you guys to explore at some point down the road where you basically assign the same exact, basically the same exact moment to like five different writers and and then you just see what they do with basically the same information and how they tell the story filtered through their own worldview. I think it would just be really, it would be really fascinating in a sense where you have what you think is a scarce thing, but there's an abundant way to tell that story.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's what we try to do now on a, on a slightly different scale, right? Where for each of our issues, like all of the, all of the conversation computers, they're reading that same story and they're contributing completely different Things, different forms of writing, different forms of media, focused on completely different pieces, and it all just deepens and makes richer whatever that original conversation was.
0: Yeah, it was great when I was reading, um, you know, the piece that you have uh, published. Uh, right now on the on the home page too and you've seen seeing like you know say we're darby you know there in the margins and then uh, you know and other people too just like oh this is this is kind of a cool little spur to go off of at the moment it's like really really neat so uh you know uh how did you arrive at that as a as a form to deepen the experience with the the featured piece
1: that is a fine question uh I don't know. I, I was, it
2: came out of Michelle's
0: mind. It did. It came out of like,
1: <laughs> what is the thing that I want to read? Like, what and, and how do I, when I read something fascinating or interesting or thought provoking that I think is great, like what do I do when I finish reading it? I share it with my friends and I want to know what my friends think. And then I Google it, right? Because I want to see what other people are saying about it because I'm fascinated and I want to see the directions that other people are going in. Um, and so I thought, well, why can't that all just happen in the same place? <laughs> um, and and can we use that to start to create a community and break down silos? Because the people who are involved and the people who are contributing are not all writers. Um, they're people doing lots of different things um, in, in lots of different ways. So, yeah, it's just kind of is the thing that I want to read. And I was like, well, no one... Is making this so I want to make this and I want Catherine to help me make it <laughs> and luckily she wanted to
0: <laughs> yeah so take me to the the moment the conversations and the dialogue that the the pair of you were having when you're like oh let's uh let's do this thing
1: um I believe that I dm'd Catherine on Twitter probably in all capital letters and said
2: <laughs> I think that it was more polite than that Wasn't at the time because I'm I, almost, you know what? I'm pulling it up. Because
1: okay. I have to Let's say, back out. to the, the earlier question, like at Longreads, we would work together for brief periods if they were like on individual stories that I had edited that she was then promoting. But we didn't have a super like intense daily working relationship because I was very head down editing and she was promoting a hundred bajillion words every month. I, I feel like it would have been all caps, but you know what? You could. I'm checking. Okay. <laughs> Either either way, I'm pretty sure I DM'd on Twitter and I said, I'm starting a magazine. Do you want to come? And Catherine said, Oh yes, I do.
2: Yes. Yes. You you say, okay, I'm right. Okay. To be clear. I mean, uh, what else is new? It's it's it's, it's all lowercase, it's all Aww. um correct grammar and punctuation. Okay, well. Uh, but We're both right in the end. This is a good story. Because in the first one, you do initiate the idea of bootstrapping a new mag and that you'd love to be in touch about it. And this is August of 2020. It took me, I think, three hours to respond. And my response was instant happy tears, many exclamation points, hearts, and I love this so much. And then you replied with many all caps. Oh, see. And it's... It's been like that ever since. Okay.
1: Yeah, that's nice. pretty much what our what our entire Slack day to day looks like. That's accurate.
2: Yeah,
0: I like this idea of bootstrapping. Also, it, it puts the you know the onus on serving readers and subscribers versus I don't know investors or angel investors or whatever. It, it, sure, sure, it, yep. sure. Like the it, it probably elicits a, a lot of sweat and a lot of stress, <laughs> <Hey>. but but. <laughs> But it, it would appear that it feels more, you know, genuine to know who you're serving uh, versus, you know, some other sort of on high entity, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, to know who we're serving and to know what we can do and what our, what our boundaries are. And it, and it puts the onus on the reader as well, right? I think we, many of us are very used to just going on the internet and reading things for free. Um, And sometimes that's because there is a powerful person or interest behind it that's funding it or for whatever reason. And that masks the huge amount of work that goes into all forms of writing, whether it be journalism or creative nonfiction or memoir or fiction. And I, I mean, I feel pretty strongly that we should, I try whenever I can to pay for the things that I consume and find valuable insofar as I'm able. And I think we both feel very strongly that that's what we all should be doing uh, to the extent that we can so that a a better journalism environment can flourish and so that people who don't have the means to pay for things have it accessible. Um, But yeah, it was super important to me and I think to Catherine from the beginning that this be funded by that, that it fund itself, that it not be an investor project that we not go after money um, and have someone else kind of making ultimate decisions.
2: Yes, and we have big plans uh, in the background for for the near-term horizon, where we're going to unveil a, a different kind of subscription option that's going to allow more clarity around the two different kinds of readers that we're talking about, and... Uh, that we've got readers as consumers who have very comfy lives and quite a bit of disposable income. And a lot of people who read your average magazine are making quite a bit of money. Uh, A lot of them are. (laughs) The people who can afford quite a few subscriptions have it and want to. And then there's just a huge number of people who are struggling, especially in 2021, uh, after the last couple of years that everybody has had. And that is a different segment of reader who we don't want to come to with a constant refrain about sharing a few of those pennies with us later, (laughs) uh, Read it for free. And then we will come up with a an exchange where there are many ways to participate in creating important work as a reader and as somebody who can be a part of the community. You can contribute expertise. You can introduce us to somebody. You can tell us something we don't know. There, There are so many valuable things that people can do to participate in growing a community or a company that isn't with money. And then I think there are a lot of people who have money or access to it who can support that and who'd want to. So those are two different kinds of consumer readers we're trying to talk to. And readers as consumers is a really interesting consumer group in the same way that selling a book is a very interesting product there are a lot of things i used to work with the american booksellers association the trade association for independent bookstores in the united states and independent bookstores real challenging business <laughs> uh, very very tight margins uh, if you have a two percent margin and you run an independent bookstore in a community that is beloved you're doing amazing <laughs> and you are in the like top percentile of business owners who own and manage independent bookstores in the country. So the the consumer and all of the, all of the publishing players have a really interesting intellectual tradition. There's literature with a capital L. Uh, there are the starving artists and the ideas about what writing is really like. And Then there's like a bunch of money on the other side and there are profit and loss statements and there's how publishers break even or don't or profit or don't and what advances they give where and there's still tremendous inequality between even one writer versus the next or what one reader can afford versus the next or what one press can make Versus another publisher. there There's a lot of inequality in the whole ecosystem. And so you have to be able to address that. I think you have to let there be an option that doesn't require money for folks who can't afford it. And then to be realistic that there are folks who can and to reach them to help fund it.
0: Mm. I like this idea of uh, what I, what you had shared with me, Catherine, that in, in the interview, that your the aim is to kind of restore what feels broken, and I right. wonder if maybe you two can speak to that. You know what, you know what feels so broken, and you know what is, you know what is your mission to spackle over the the cracks, and maybe restore the wall yeah. altogether.
1: I don't want to spackle. <laughs> I want to strip that down to the studs and remake it. Yeah. It's a total remodel. Oh, right. I mean, look, a lot of things are broken, right? Like for me yeah. as an editor and the writers that I work with, like the fact that one, we pay fair rates and two, that we pay on a graduated scale so that you get 50% of your fee up front when you sign a contract, because it's bananas yeah. that you should just start doing work and work for months yeah, <laughs> and with, with no, with what, like that doesn't make in what other where else do we ask people to do that um,
2: so so that's it is normal in other I industries mean, to have a deposit and then to pay a balance or to pay pay upon milestones right and many workers will not begin that work until that deposit is paid um, and it's
1: just so normal in publishing that that doesn't happen and nobody expects it and nobody asks for it and so so that I mean that that is a I mean, there's a range of things that are broken that I'd like to fix, (laughs) but like on a very specific level, like that's one thing, like the, the treatment of the people who produce all of the stuff that we read often for free, um, and their ability to have a sustainable livelihood. That's not 75% hustle because when people get, it turns out when you pay them fairly and upfront, they produce really great work because they're not in a constant state, of stress and worry about when this invoice is happening. So yeah, I, I'd like, I love that we partnered with the Freelance Solidarity Project at the National Writers Union for our guidelines, um, along with Defector and Intercept. And I hope that we, one, can just help to promote that as a way of treating freelance labor, and two, that we can show that even a smaller place can do that. You don't have to be a giant well-funded media machine to be fair to people and treat people well. Um, but yeah, I'll let, yeah I'll let Catherine speak to the bigger, the bigger plan. Well,
2: I'll, I'll give credit uh, where credit is due. I was <laughs> quoting in that interview lines from the membership guide from the folks who are working on the membership puzzle project. And that they did a ton of research and got a lot of feedback from people who identify as members of organizations. And why? Why do they do that? It's it's totally optional. Uh, it's something that everyone wants right now. How do you get somebody to feel like a member of a community rather than a consumer of a product? And that was something that came up in a lot of their research that members and readers and community members feel like something fundamental in the world or in themselves is broken and they seek out membership in places where somebody's trying to fix it where you're trying to solve a problem and that's the fundamental basis of a business you're solving a problem and it has to be a real problem and people have to care about it and the way that you know whether they care about it or not is whether they then sign up for membership for your organization that purports to solve that problem. But there are quite a few problems, and no one really argues against that, I would say. Is there anybody who thinks publishing is doing gangbusters right now? Who's it working for? Mm. A few people. I say, like, three or, three or four people. <laughs> a, handful, a handful of people, uh, much like many other sectors of the economy Mm -hmm. most people have have some quibbles have some quibbles (laughs) uh the whole spectrum of quibbles to destroyed livelihoods that say media and publishing are broken and so trying to come up with different ways to structure a website to structure an online magazine to structure some of these companies that may or may not have the size or the time or the resources or the ability and skill sets to found a nonprofit and then go for philanthropic or grant support, which we chose not to do. And that was uh, a decision that happened over a very long period of time that went back and forth with waffling. And we came down pretty squarely on the side of wanting to A – of us not having development backgrounds and then be just wanting to try this in the beginning as something that we sell to individuals and to readers and to go the grassroots route, that if enough people agree with us that this is a good idea, we'll find a way to make it sustainable.
0: Have you identified what enough is in terms of what will be sustainable?
2: The short answer is yes. The, the real answer is that I figured out how to class different expenses and uh, revenue in our online QuickBooks subscription yesterday. And so I've broken out our issues. We, we've got at least one commission for at least our first five issues and so now I, I can see much more clearly, thank you to classes uh, in QuickBooks. I can see clearly what, what revenue was being offset by our expenses for issue one, uh, the same for issue two, issue three, issue four, issue five. And right now, because our scale is so concentrated and we're staying minimal on purpose. I see many, many routes to uh, the the revenue outstripping the expenses fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. So, yes, if you start with something small enough and then don't scale or grow until you have some measure of profitability... This is a better idea, or at least one that could last or that can go on for some time because you're basing your business on something people want. And that's validated rather than, I said in that interview uh, that we were referencing, founding Quibi, uh, where it's, it's not clear that there was validation that, that folks wanted this <laughs> product at that time. And then you can burn through billions of dollars that way, very, very, very quickly. So don't build anything too big too fast, and you you can figure it out.
0: Yeah, like I, I've been reading uh, Paul Jarvis's Company of One. And, oh yeah, and that, that's just this idea of strategically staying small and just yes, and just focusing on that enough, whatever enough is. And it's such a great concept that keeps you lean and small and nimble. And it just keeps you from overreaching. In this culture, we are so obsessed with growth. You got to grow, 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 grow. But what if you don't grow? What if you just grow relationships and deepen the connection with the people who are already in on the joke? That seems to me like a a great, sustainable way. And the irony is, at that point, you probably will grow.
2: Well, exactly. And I think I'm forgetting who to quote about uh recommending ramen startups.
0: Okay, so I'm going to do one of my classic Brendan punch-ins right here. And and what Catherine is talking about is Ramen Profitable, a July to from a July 2009 blog post uh from on paulgram.com uh get funded by Y Combinator. He's one of those VC guys and Ramen profitable means a startup makes just enough to pay the founder's living expenses. This is a different form of profitability than startups have traditionally aimed for. Traditional profitability means a big bet is finally paying off, whereas the main importance of ramen profitability is that it buys you time. And it goes on and on, and I might as well just link up to this in the show notes, but I just figured, why not give you the definition of ramen startup or ramen profitable speaking of ramen i uh, as a small aside i'm sorry for the digression but in college i used to sometimes just eat dry ramen and sprinkle the seasoning on top chewed the hell out of my gums but it was a quick and easy and dare i say very fun snack okay i'm sorry back back to catherine back to the conversation uh here here we ramen go
2: ramen startups <laughs> right now i'm gonna find out which venture capitalist is like i would recommend ramen startups currently if you're going to create a startup and that is basically just exactly what you just said of keep your overhead as low as you possibly can while still producing the quality you mean to and support it yeah i mean keeping it small also means that we are both doing the things
1: that we are the best at and that we love to do, right? Like I don't want, I don't want to manage a team of editors. I want to edit. That's what I do. That's what I love. Um, And I'm going to produce, we're going to produce better work because we're both doing things that we are both good at and excited about. So for selfish reasons as well, and for, and for magazine reasons, I think it's a smart way to go.
0: That brings me to a question I wanted to ask you guys. You know, Michelle you wanting to edit and then, you know, Catherine you wanting to, you know, do the thing that you do with, you know, audience development and uh, you know, having a very, you know, irreverent voice that is incredibly funny and lands on my <laughs> ear in in a way that is just is <laughs> just cracking me up the the whole time. It's uh It's working.
2: Yeah, yeah nailing it.
0: Uh what leverage do you, did you two, you know, bring to this this scene from your prior experiences that is uh, uniquely, you know, a rare and valuable skill that is uniquely leveraged for this venture?
2: I can hear both of us going back into the <laughs> cabinets where we're like, oh, my past career, the things that have led up to right now, mm-hmm. what's in there? Uh <laughs> I'm buying you time and stalling uh, for you Michelle. Okay, no, I was I was girding. <laughs>
1: <me. laughs> I've been I'm girding my loins because this feels to me it's still like I'm I like horn tooting. Um and so I'm preparing. <laughs> do it. I'm preparing myself to do some horn tooting. I'm like sitting do up the a way. little straighter. <laughs> tooted. Um I mean I think in, going into this, I knew that I wanted it to be the magazine to be centered on a great piece of long form in every issue and have that be the springboard. Um and That's something I had actually not done before Long Reads and then started to do at Long Reads. And then it turned out that I was both good at it and I love doing it and got a lot of great feedback and created great relationships with writers that helped me to say like, okay, one, yes, people are going to want to work with me, with us um, on this project. And two, I feel good that I can create the quality um, or shepherd things of the quality that I would like to see into the world
2: that's my answer and that needs to be supported (laughs) and that's very easy for for me to respond in all caps to the dm and say yes I love it exclamation points and heart emojis like that that's a skill set that needs to be supported and my work up until now I have a couple of different impulses one being that talented writers of whom there are many and quite a few more than are enjoying spoils because of it. (laughs) Um, Very, very talented, wonderful people who are putting out work into the world that makes me feel something, which I think I'll stop and slow down at because a lot of things don't. (laughs) Many, many things don't make me feel something. It's actually kind of hard. And so when I actually feel an emotion in response to work that somebody has done, that's really incredibly difficult. And then I think it is a totally different skill set to market that work. Mm -hmm. Some people are wonderful at both things and hooray. That is great. I think it's, More often than not, people are better at the work (laughs) or if they've spent a tremendous amount of their lives working on a craft, they have not spent an equivalent period of their lives learning about classes and QuickBooks Online. Like they I, I think that especially in the building audiences realm, people need support They need partners. Many strong writers would tell you they need editors. Uh, They'd like... I mean, and in the background, we're all a bunch of very anxious people. Uh, And you need support. You just need somebody to continuously tell you, this is a good idea. I think you should do it. You should put it out into the world and let's find a way to do that that doesn't make you go broke. Um, And I think that... People doing that work need champions who can understand how difficult what they're doing is, who can understand what kind of support that they need, and then be able to give it to them. And I have skill sets on both sides. I know what editors need and care about and identify as one often. I know what writers need and care about. and. What will help them, especially new writers who need that first big byline, who need that first long core story that we're trying to create for each issue, to then unlock the rest of their career. They need that social proof that editors took a chance on them. And I can speak to and in the language of editorial and readership, and caring about things, and my feelings, and what what resonates with me. And then I can talk to our accountants, and I can talk to legal, and I can uh, bind our insurance policies, which also happened yesterday. I had a big day yesterday. <laughs> and th- those are those are a challenging set of things to find in one person. So I spend a lot of my time building up both skill sets. I read a lot of things to hopefully one day be very good at people management so that when, if and when, hopefully when we can have more folks come on, I have a grounding in being able to manage, which is a totally different skill set. So I I work on trying to be able to have those broad interests and to be grounded in them and to cover the things that make most people, most, not all, most people in the writing community, very allergic, nervous, anxious, or afraid, For- um, which are many things. <laughs> right. I mean, look, you, you knew that you had to buy me some time to
1: prep myself. To even be able to say that I'm good at my job, and you know how to. Awesome, <laughs> and I will, <laughs> and you know how to use QuickBooks. Like you're, this is why I sent you the DM in the first
2: place. I will also, uh, even, even in a meta way, just for the listeners right now. If you were listening back at the beginning of this episode, I spoke a lot. Uh, I answered the first question for a while. Mm-hmm. I did that on purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michelle did not ask me to do that, but I did it on purpose because I know (laughs) Michelle. And I know Michelle's psychology. And I know that because I have worked on being approachable and someone that you can tell what you're really thinking about and feeling. And I know that Michelle has these moments in the beginning where she just needs... Uh, mm. She doesn't want to be the first one to talk, or she needs a minute. The terrifying, <laughs> to... the
1: terrifying comfort of being seen. It's wonderful. Everyone should have it. <laughs> everyone should Which have Which goes
2: away him. for her after a couple of minutes. <laughs> it just takes a couple of minutes. And so I've tried to work really hard on being somebody who has conquered the first two minutes because they're hard for everyone. I and my wonderful partner reminds me regularly that bravery is not, not feeling the fear. (laughs) It's, it's just barreling through it anyway and being courageous through it anyway while still feeling it. And so I have, I, I will toot my own horn and have mastered the ability to feel tremendous anxiety while very few people know that (laughs) other than me. Uh, Hopefully we'll see. I hope that, I, I am offering calm to others and fe- sounding comforting or reassuring, uh, whether I'm doing it for myself well or not.
0: Well, this kind of that kind of segues to something I want to ask you guys. Also, given that the pipe wrench itself is kind of a a a, a collab, it is a collaborative effort around one sort of central piece. I wanted to get a sense of the nature of your collaboration, you know, of Michelle and Catherine together and what, uh, you know, the combination of your powers, you know, what what that makes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> mm. I, I mean, I, I feel like this whole discussion has been a good illustration so far of the... I, I think one of our, our joint superpowers is that we both acknowledge <laughs> the importance of feelings and feeling the feelings. Um yes. Uh, You have
2: to, I'm sorry. It's the only
1: option. Right. Like people have feel all people at the end. We're just roiling balls of feelings floating on an even bigger sea of feelings. (laughs) And the more you try not to have the feelings and the the more you try to pretend that business can occur without the feelings, the more messed up you are and the more messed up your business is. So let's just have the feelings. We have, we have a feelings period. We have a twice weekly uh, video chats every week. We always start them with, you know, do we need to have feelings today? Sometimes we don't,
2: sometimes it's fine. <laughs> do we need to start with feelings? But, are we gonna table the agenda that we have? Yeah. And the agenda is very businessy. Yeah. But sometimes we rip it up. <laughs> uh, because some days you just can't. And then you have to address why not first.
1: Right. I mean, let's also acknowledge that it's a it's a period in time in which there are more feelings than normal, right? Like life has not been Uh, easy for the past year and a half there are a lot more feelings or feelings are intensified so so let's just make feelings an agenda item instead of pretending that they don't happen I think that that is sounds very funny and it is um, (laughs) it sounds very woo-woo and it sounds woo-woo and it is but I think it's also massively important uh, and I love that we do it and I think we would have gotten stuck at seventeen different points if we had not made the space for feelings um, and for the people yeah. we and for everyone else who comes into the the pipe wrench ambit and works with us or produce or contributes something to
2: to have that same opportunity. yeah, and I think that I think there are there are several strengths, one I mean our our mutual very large head start is that we've both been doing distributed work for a very long time Mm. michelle and i have met
0: twice
2: i think once
0: that's amazing i think it was twice
1: (laughs) oh now i
2: feel bad (laughs) once at dinner Mm -hmm. and once at the bar okay but that was the same night Yes. So that's <laughs> one, one was one was in the afternoon and the other was in the evening. All right. I'll let everyone guess which. Um, yes, we met two times in person in 2019, and had been working together for a couple of years. And now we've been working together for a few more years after that. So we we had a massive head start, which often inspires some guilt for me at this point when so many people were thrust into distributed work unbeknownst to them with with no no plans or safety nets and or guidance or people who had a lot of background working that way or with documentation or with any useful important ways of collaborating while abroad we live in different countries so we had a head start being able to do work in this way. And then otherwise we have very differentiated skill sets. And I think one of the important, really important things is that we want to do different things. Mm -hmm. And a lot of folks, I think, lose out on starting new endeavors with your wonderful friends who are wonderful and charming and great to have in your life, it's challenging to start businesses together if you all have the same title or if your backgrounds and your work skills are very similar to each other. I think there's, and I think this is baked into each issue, there's tremendous value in working with folks who know how to do things you don't know the first thing about and don't want to. I don't, envy the work that Michelle does on each issue. It's very hard. Uh, And I don't think that she envies the stuff that I'm doing. I do not. That feels very in the background. I don't think that she wants to do it. I don't. It's great. What a wonderful working relationship. We don't secretly want to be doing each other's jobs. No, I think it's the best decision. Aside from the decision
1: to start a magazine in the first place, the best decision I made was to ask Catherine to do it with me. <laughs> uh, I mean, can you said it was just me and another editor or someone who, who writing, like we would, oh, we would have a janky website. We would be paying people under the table in very illegal ways. It would not be right? we super would, legal. No, we would have like contracts. It would not be very legal. Contracts scrawled on napkins.
2: Like it could be a mess. It wouldn't be a business. Uh, <laughs> Legally, it would, it would not be great. Right. Uh, tax wise, it would not be great right audience and it would and it would die yeah, it would yeah. it would die very quickly the because... audience the audience would be
1: like our 10 friends and there would be like two really hilarious issues and then that would be
2: it
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and i i did come right into it from the start of uh there's an element of protecting michelle from herself she <laughs> may or may not like have an editorial plane that she's like it's fine with me if i drive this into the ground right and i'm like no you can fly the plane forward it's we can make it go farther than that and then like land safely maybe somewhere in the future but no we don't have to nosedive directly into the ground right away illegally (laughs) that was a suggestion and at least here here we are
0: Take, a, take me to that moment where you you announce uh, what Pipe Wrench is going to be and then the moment where you hit publish on your first issue.
2: Oh, God, that was scary. How are your feelings Whoa. then, Michelle? <laughs> Michelle, how do you feel about hitting publish on, on Tuesday, Tuesday again? Oh. We're about to hit publish again. Let's not
1: poke at those feelings lest they break <laughs> the banks. <laughs> For there are many. Um it was it was frightening it was it was it was extremely exciting and also very frightening, which is how I knew it was the right thing to do
2: that's true um, yeah yeah i was we both wanted to feel really strongly about our work after maybe having i mean Michelle was at the same company for over eight years wasn't it
1: i it was my eighth anniversary it was my last day actually
2: oh. Poetry. No, I like symmetry.
1: I like organization.
2: We wanted change. And part of the change that we signed up for, even when we need to set aside our business agendas to have our feelings, is that we wanted to feel really strongly about the work. Yeah. Uh, We wanted to be scared. Mm -hmm. And to make things that were like, oh, I'm in this. And my skin is in the game. And... We're not divorced from it. It's not an abstracted thing that we put out into the world. And we're not cynical about each individual piece. Or in a luckily, in a deadline environment where we have to produce so much volume mm-hmm. that it becomes really hard even the next day. I mean, my heart goes out to breaking news reporters. Yeah. Even the next day, your work is already yesterday and you might not even remember what you wrote last week. That's difficult, even though you care Uh, very much about it at the time it's hard to even keep track of your own body of work Uh, so we we have a pace (laughs) that uh, lets us engage with our own feelings and to be able to hit publish as often as we currently can right now which is every two months which is a long time yeah but I remember that the
1: very first, like before there was an issue when it was just the kind of landing page and announcement that we were a thing. I mean, I remember pushing that button and thinking, man, I hope that this idea makes sense to literally anyone other than me <laughs> and Catherine. I think this sounds hella cool, but I've also been locked in my house for 11 months. I really <laughs> hope that other this is a thing that other people want to read. But I, I think if we... I wa- we wanted something different and new, and I think if we had not been scared, that would have been a sign that it was not different and new. That we were doing something that was same old that, we, that knew. we knew how to that do. We, that yeah. we knew that. So, so I, I welcomed I welcomed the the fear, and I welcomed the fear that will happen on Tuesday when I push the publish button again. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and you tweeted a while ago that we don't have a formal background in journalism. We don't have any particular idea of what a standard pitch should be. We started a new magazine because we <laughs> wanted it to be something new. We right. wanted it to be a home for the stories that don't have a home. And I just, I, I love the sentiment there. And I imagine that that solicited in, it, in and of itself a lot of very unique things.
1: It did. Like we get, I have to say, it, it makes me... It's sad that right now we we're bi monthly. I would love for us eventually to be monthly because I want to take more of the pitches that we get. Because when you give people that kind of leeway and you tell them, "I want to hear not what you think I want, but the thing that you most feel that you need to write about," you get fascinating, fascinating pitches. Uh, and so, yeah, the 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 response to that, at least from that perspective, has been has been lovely.
2: And at the same time, you get those pitches and immediately we can say, well, we know why this isn't going to have a natural home (laughs) elsewhere. (laughs) We know why this is not going to strike your average assigning editor as sometimes even something that a writer can execute (laughs) and that may not even finish or get done but that's perfect yeah. great we'll take it um yeah right the, and it's the, the stretched yeah. out <laughs>
1: publication cadence means that we also we also can can take a chance on pitches that seem maybe a little too unformed or from writers I mean the writer of, of the central piece for our first issue which I is one of my favorite things that I've ever worked on that's her first publication um
0: Really, I read that. I was blown away by it.
1: It's her, so wow. Well, get get excited for issue two, then. Uh, but yeah, that, <laughs> that was the first thing that she published, and uh, you know, and we have a couple stories in the works for later in the year that are the pitches were sprawling. They're big ideas, um, but we could say, yeah, we love this, and we want you to go even bigger because we have the time to really focus on this and help you
2: figure out how to turn it into a great story. And if we're going to prioritize new voices, they're not going to have multiple clips. They're not going to have their previous working relationships to have taught them on the job, what the job is and how to pitch and how to do it in this standard way. So If we're going to care about folks who are potentially debuting, which a handful of them are, we have to be open to that. We're going to get something where it's like, yeah, you have not read 8,000 pitches in the last several years. Awesome. Great. We've read quite a few. (laughs) How about we hear from some people who haven't? Okay, let's do it. And then we're going to get really, really interesting Stuff which can be blended with, again, bringing it back to creative nonfiction, that like on the fiction side of things, folks work in isolation for a very long time to perfect something. And it's totally different. It's completely different from how reporters build their case to put a specific pitch together. So when we're open to as many people as we can be because gatekeeping is everywhere and it's it's hard to have gone through a formal education or to have a specific set of credentials before that we would need to say our prerequisites to pitch us that's not going to work so we we have to be open to everything and then we get we we get a range
0: yeah and you're gonna hit publish on a story about uh you know birmingham roller pigeons and where you bet we are it's about this you know it it centers on these pigeons but it's really about uh you know uh, black americans trying to just you know have their space and and uh and just the the sad reality of you know that sort of dichotomy that's been in this country for centuries
1: yeah i mean and and about i mean i think and about the the joy and creativity right that 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 is masked and lost or not paid attention to when we stick to kind of the traditional American narrative about race. Um, it's a great story and it, it had so many wonderful entry points. Like the, the conversation pieces around it are, a an eclectic mix that do exactly, I think what we were talking about earlier, right? The, the first issue was super thematic. Um, and I think that that is inevitable given the the topic and the the gravitas of that central story. And this story, I think, has more entry points for people to to come at it in different ways. And I'm excited to see how people respond to the to the issue, to the whole collection. But but the the central story, yeah, it's it's great. I, I think we as soon as we saw that pitch, that was the first pitch where we both at the same time were like, "Ooh, that's a Piper inch
2: story." That's a yes. Mm-hmm. And I keep thinking, you know, if we were to distill her original pitch, which was wonderful Mm -hmm. uh, and really strong right away, um, if we were to distill that into, like, the logline version and it was only a few words, give us your pitch, and it's, like, racism, but then also pigeons. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. But then also a way in to having this conversation and telling this story which you could tell again in a million different ways but let's use the entry point of these fantastic birds Mm -hmm. and Michelle and I are like yes that that's a yes that's an immediate yes (laughs) Uh, connect those two things for me and she does brilliantly
0: I love hearing you say that you guys came to a collective realization that that's a pipe wrench story and you guys are, are just on issue two, but yeah. it sounds like you're already <laughs> developing a voice of what you want this to be, an identity of what you want this to be, which is just great. So I, I love hearing that.
1: Thanks. Yeah. yeah I mean, well, I think it's, it's interesting, right? When people ask me, people I meet ask me, what do you do? And I say, oh, I'm the editor of a magazine. And they say, oh, what's it about? <laughs> and I say, <laughs> it, it depends it depends on the month uh but this month it's going to be about racism and pigeons like it doesn't it's a hard uh it's a hard question to answer but i think that we are definitely honing in on you know every issue is going to be completely different topic wise but the approach that the stories take um and the kind of critical lens that they all apply to whatever topic it is that they're talking about I think is the is the distinguishing characteristic and that's what we that and that's what definitely grabbed us about this pitch right it was not oh isn't it isn't it quirky that there's this bunch of black men in Los Angeles who fly pigeons i bet you never thought they did that um, it was instead, which it could have been, right? It very easily. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely, And has been because th- there have been other stories written about these men and that has very much been um, the kind of broad approach. But, But instead to get a pitch that said, okay, there's this community of men. They fly these pigeons. Why? Out of all the things that they could have chosen to do with their time, why pigeons? What does it bring them? And what does it teach us about, what these communities need and, and how we can build um, how we can build better communities. That's what grabbed us. And I think that kind of very critical look at the topic is what distinguishes a pipe wrenchy story from a non-pipe wrenchy story with the caveat that we are on issue two. So <laughs> <laughs> always evolving. Um, but yeah, and those, those are really fun, conversations to have uh, to figure out what, what is it? What are we drawn to? What do we want to say? What do we want to put out there? What makes the story pipe wrenchy? That's, those are some of my favorite, some of my favorite conversations.
0: Yeah. You get to make that call, which has to be really exciting.
1: Uh, It's, it is, it's again, exciting and frightening, right? Because the whole issue then is based around this story. So, right. So there is pressure to, to, to pick the right, right. And, and to, and And it can be challenging to look at all of the things we 've had to turn down and think like oh did was that was that going to be a, a lot of the things that we 've heard to, had to turn down are going to get published in other places and they 're going to be great but yeah it is it is very exciting to get to make that call and it's it's that same excitement terror mix of pushing the publish button for the first time of we're doing something that's new and important
2: and that's great and scary It also takes me the longest <laughs> i this year t- the year of 2021 for me has been the adoption of time boxing uh, for for productivity folks out there time boxing is wonderful i recommend it's the cal uh, Newport method i'm i'm here <laughs> for it i'm here for it it's been working for me and i can't time box that task where we have you know we have a sidebar place where because of our background in distributed work. This is one of those decisions that we need to record. This is the kind of thing where we want to look back at these conversations next year and hopefully the year after that and the year after that, where we both defend why. Why are we backing this? Uh, What makes it worth investing in? What's something we have to turn down and why? Michelle uh, spends a tremendous amount of time doing really wonderful work, giving everyone feedback, especially the folks who we spend the longest time deliberating about, that we she gives very specific suggestions of where else to place it. And, And we give as much personal feedback as we can, and both of us pool every publication that we ever read for curation for long reads to think of here's a place that will probably support this when we can't yet because we just can't publish that many things. But the documents that we have going back and forth and back and forth, writing down, why are we deciding this? What is it that we feel in reaction to this story? Let's talk each other into and out of things. Uh, there were, There's one we're doing for sure that I had to, One of the reasons Michelle would have walked away from it was I, I think of this as you being the best possible editor for this story. And her her nervousness was that it was too close and that she was, it was too right of a fit of editor and writer. And I had to talk her out of that. Uh, I think it's going to be fantastic because she's exactly the right editor for it, but we go back and forth for a while. And I spend, the most time thinking about and writing those for future us and just for each other. Here, I'll, I'll tell you what the, the actual skill set that I most leverage
1: in working with Piper Lynch and making a success is that I read super fast.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that's I, that's I don't. Start.
1: So the, I do not. So that is a very useful. Right? So I do So I do the pitch triage and then I'm like, all right, Catherine, here's what we need to talk about. Let's have a conversation.
0: Well, that's amazing! I, I'm so excited for what you for what you're up to, and the doors that you're opening for for the season season vets, but also you know new voices who 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 need that stage. I'm just I'm ex- I'm just really just thrilled for what you guys are doing and what you've built and where 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 i hope it will go so i just want to commend you on a job well done so far and i can't wait to see what you guys uh do with uh, the momentum you've already created
1: thank you thank you yeah.
0: and uh where can people get more familiar with uh, the pair of you and of course uh pipe wrench itself
1: uh well the magazine you can find at pipe and then we are also at pipe Mag on twitter um And then, yeah, I'm on Twitter as well. I'm at Michelle in Chief if anyone wants to uh, follow me and see pictures of my dog.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And my Twitter handle is my last name, followed by my first name, Cusick, C U -S S I C K, Catherine, C A T H E R I N E. And there will be more activity there soon. It's been quite, it's been quiet for a bit, but I have plans.
0: No, I have to apologize my intros are getting awfully bloated again I was I had this thing where I would just it was about two or three minutes of stuff and now they're just really they're front loaded with a lot of a lot of ad mini type stuff and I know you have the option to skip and I know I like to have it start the interview far quicker but it just uh, it doesn't happen it's just not happening like that oh, well, what can you do what can you do well that was fun, wasn't it? I like those two. That was uh, enlightening and a lot of fun to shoot the breeze with a couple of a couple of badasses like that. Check out PipeWrenchMag.com dot com com to read what they're up to. You might even see some Sayward Darby action on Pipe wrench Mag there in the margins in their sort of dinner party ethos of this thing, of the central piece, and then off to the side you see people talking about it. Yeah. Sayward's in there, you know her. She's a she's a C N F Pod B F F. Anywho, thank you to West Virginia Wesleyan College's MFA and Creative non, and Creative Writing. Sorry uh, for support into HippoCamp 2021 for promotional support. Drop that C N F Pod 21 code for 50 clams off your registration. Tell him Bo sent you. Into Huang, where would we be without Huang in the world? I'm going to keep eating the Patreon drum, of course, because that's what's going to take the show to the next level. Having the show be listener-supported gives you ownership, gives you agency, helps pay writers, helps me make a better product, upgrades, hosting. The show is free, but it sure as hell isn't cheap. Helps me celebrate more CNFers and build the community. And it's not like you're getting nothing in exchange for a few bucks a month. So go window shop. Patreon.com slash CNFpod. And the audio magazine, it is out summer. comes out two days from the publication of this episode, June 20th, 2021. The first day of summer, according to my calendar, it goes out to every member of the Patreon community. And if you're not in that community, unfortunately, you don't get the magazine. No matter. But it goes out no matter the tier. Either $2 tier or $25 tier. You get the magazine. Got it? And you can also visit brendanomero.com for show notes and to sign up for the up to 11 monthly newsletter. 11 recommendations including books, articles, blogs, pods, writing prompts, and interviews, of course. First of the month, no spam. As far as I can tell, you can't beat it. I have nothing really to add this week other than I'm glad the audio magazine is finished because it's a heavy burden off my plate. Now I have to finish... Uh, A couple other things, like this pro bono podcast for the animal shelter in town, Uh, really hone my hippocamp talk, and work with my book proposal and editing clients, and maybe try to get my freaking baseball book in the hands of someone who wants it, maybe dust off that old horse racing manuscript from grad school that I think is the best story I've ever worked on, uh, and read that novel that's on my... End table and work work on that other novel because I, I I've always wanted to write one and uh, go hiking and work out and bake cakes and have abs and uh, call mom and see if she still remembers who I am and it's almost Father's Day so gotta call the old ball coach, gotta listen to the podcast, gotta watch that movie you told me about. So uh, in the meantime, stay cool, C and stay cool forever. B-O says see
1: ya.